Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with our awesome partners, Najahi Events. More about them later. You're going to have to check them out. Promise me you will. If you don't, I'll come looking for you. Today's guest on the show is the awesome, like, we, like let's be honest about it. You know, there's some areas that I've covered on the podcast over recent weeks and months that have really made me stop and think a lot about many issues. And so getting today's guest on the podcast was important because I really want to explore some of these problems and I want you to listen and and learn about some of these problems so maybe together we can do something more. She's an analyst for Homeland Security Investigations in the United States, currently assigned to the Joint Intelligence Operations Center. Previously, she worked at Washington, D.C. headquarters uh, with collective national security experience at the National Targeting Center, the Tactical Intelligence Cell, the National Intelligence Watch, and the Office of White House Liaison. I mean, goodness me. She holds two master's degrees from Harvard University. This is a bright lady, okay? You want to be listening to this, okay? She's taught American government, homeland security, and human trafficking courses. I... um, I'm very honored to have somebody who holds an active top security security clearance and takes pride in working joint task force investigations. I want to talk to you about child sex trafficking today, and I want to do it with the incredible Amy Stora. So, Amy, thank you so much for coming to join me today on the podcast. Obviously, the subject matter today is one that's, first of all, very close to my heart. And secondly, something that I think is very important to talk about, hence the reason for wanting to get you on the show. But for the people in different parts of the world over here, for example, in the Middle East and in the UK, please introduce yourself. Give us give us two minutes of your background, because my God, have you done a lot? <laughs> Thank you so much, Spencer. It's truly an honor to be here. And you're doing such great things for humanity, connecting people and really exposing um, some of the most important topics in our society that our victims are suffering every day in in traumatic, horrible lives that we can connect people and and help people get out of those situations. My my main job is, um, so I'm a professor and I teach uh, human um, trafficking and homeland security courses, but I also work for Homeland Security Investigations, and I've done some a lot of human trafficking and child exploitation cases, um, began my career doing counterterrorism, but have since um, moved over to doing these really important cases on human trafficking and, and child predators. Uh, I also volunteer for the National Child Protection Task Force in the United States, which is led by an, an Arkansas prosecutor who has really dedicated Outside of his prosecution time, he has dedicated an entire mission to rescuing these missing children and helping solve the problems of child trafficking. So I'm very, you know, eager to meet and connect with leaders and industry, with anyone who is is willing to to help us in this fight. I have a lot of ideas on how we could um, simple solutions that could make a big impact in getting victim services, uh, which I'm excited to share on the show as well. Okay, great. Excellent stuff. Let's, let's probably start with some headlines here, okay, uh, and, and maybe talk about the problem uh, and then maybe see if we can understand in a bit more detail if there may be a cure. So what, what's the big problem here? Well, let's start with the big problem. Yeah, so I, I think that's such a good um, question to look at the overall big picture here. The the big problem in America is really sex sells, unfortunately. It has become a business. As, as we unfortunately realize, prostitution is the oldest occupation, if you want to say that, in, in the books. Men will buy sex, and unfortunately, it has turned into a major big enterprise, a big business. Most of the cases I've worked on involve various people in a business business-like structure, you will not believe how many people are involved in this. Women, men, all kinds of people, teachers. Um, I just had an arrest on a school teacher recently who was involved with this. You know, the human slave owners are are walking among us. Uh, You have a $150 billion a year industry. And I believe also the crackdown on narcotics, drug cases are are fairly easy to work. You can easily prove as a law enforcement officer that this person was selling drugs or not. 
to prove that someone was selling another human being requires that the victims believe they are being sold against their will. Many times the, psycho the psychology behind that is these victims don't, you know, the human brain, um, unfortunately, Stockholm syndrome, there are various psychological barriers where victims don't understand that they are being basically sold as slaves. So again, the, the crackdown on the drugs and the, the drug cases are much easier to work than the human slavery cases because that requires victims coming forward, victim testimony, and things of that nature, which is really the biggest issue where we are failing. Uh, we have the lowest prosecution rate on human trafficking cases than any other criminal um, case uh, type of crime in the United States and, and in the world as well. So we see the big problem here with you know, even once the arrests are made, the, the chances of them getting behind bars and locked up in prison is about 16% at the state level and really anywhere from 30 to 40% at the federal level. And so these crimes, unfortunately, are very frustrating for us to, to get those prosecutions. And again, the big part of that is we need to empower these victims to to come forward and there are many ways that we can do that but unfortunately the drug traders are realizing that human beings are a commodity that can be bought and sold over and over again the drug cartels and the drug runners in this in the world are moving to resellable human beings if i'm a drug dealer and i want to sell you some cocaine i can sell you a bag of cocaine and get one buy Human beings can be bought and sold over and over again. And so very tragically, uh, we're seeing that trend where more of the drug dealers and the big time drug lords are moving into this enterprise. Uh, you can see that in Colombia. Uh, Medellin in Colombia is the child sex um, trafficking capital of the world. There's a particular highway on in Medellin, Colombia that has the, the highest number of child sex trafficking incidents in the world. I believe this is also a correlation to the washed up drug trade in that country with Pablo Escobar and the, the downfall of the, the drug enterprise. Greedy people who like to sell illegal things tend to like to stay in those markets. So unfortunately, they've moved over to human beings and, and children. Unfortunately, the child sex traffickers, they're more of a risk because you're more likely to get, get prison time, um, especially in this country if you're a child sex trafficker. So there's a more of a higher price that, that people are willing to pay to have sex with the children versus the adults. But another big issue that we have is the crackdown, which is very important on child sex trafficking. However, once the victims turn 18, uh, we're seeing a big drop in those cases being prosecuted um, at, at a fast rate, unfortunately. And most of the smart traffickers are waiting until the victims turn 18 because they know the chances of them going to prison will be basically like the same equivalent of getting struck by lightning at, at that point. So a lot of problems. Okay. Let's 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 talk about the victims to start with. Um, these these children, what ages is it from and to typically? Yes, that that is a good question, and the data varies on that. Of course, um, different countries don't report all of their data, but from from what we're seeing in the United States, most cases i've seen um, there's different statistics out there one of the the statistics says that the average age where victims are entering into the sex um, slave world are ages 12 to 14. there have been other studies that have found a little bit older a lot of other studies say 18. so it's it's um, debatable however i I tend to believe that it is of a younger age. One in four slaves in the world of human trafficking slaves are in fact children. And the human trafficking hotline numbers have soared 259% uptick since the year of, of 2008. And so really one of, the, one of the worst aspects of this crime is the fact that in, in one study that I recently read, 95% of, of child trafficking victims were also victims of child exploitation previously. So again, there's a correlation there where they run away from home and they fall right into the trap of the traffickers who are acting as their friend, giving them affection, and unfortunately just trying to enslave them in the sex slave world. 60 to 80% of child sex trafficking victims 
very tragically come from the foster care system in the United States. And that to me is is really a, a scary and, and sad statistic. So the welfare system, the foster care, these pimps and these traffickers, they are targeting that market. They are targeting specifically those areas where children don't know what love is. They don't have loving parents. Uh, working on the National Child Protection Task Force, one of the biggest issues we have come to find is the number of runaways who are never reported as missing children. So law enforcement will invest a lot of resources and time into missing children that somebody, the parents, reported them missing. However, runaways are not given that same urgency, that same precedence. And, and sadly, I believe runaways are the very most vulnerable of all children because they don't have anybody looking for them. They don't have any parents reporting them missing. And I believe we need to change the culture and treat runaways with the same um, attention because even if they don't have parents who are looking for them or even reporting them missing, law enforcement cares. I care. We care about them and we want to get them help and we want to get them safe. So I just want them to know they're not alone and uh, we will treat them the same as any other missing child case. There's a statistic that says nearly 500,000 kids go missing every year. In the United States alone. Absolutely. Every year. Every year. Yeah. It's unbelievable. How many of that 500,000 that go missing are found? Well, you know, a lot of them do get found, but a lot of them, you know, never do. And, and this 500 a year statistic of missing children. Now, keep in mind, this is only the ones that have been reported. So all of the runaways that I was just mentioning were not included in that figure. And so it's been estimated that, you know, approximately 40%, I believe it's higher personally, and end up in the, the child sex slavery trade. You know, where, where do all these children go? They don't just disappear in, into thin air. And unfortunately, human traffickers approach them at rapid rates. The Amtrak and the trains are very much becoming known for this type of activity. And so a lot of times the runaways and the children will, will go on those trains. And that's another avenue where I've been trying to target this venue. There was one study that... Hold, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, because we need to make sure that there's people from around the world that won't always understand your American terminology. So Amtrak is your your, your national railway system, yeah? yeah. And what, yeah. And, and, and kids are jumping on, on, on the, the cargo trains, on the passenger trains? What, what's going on? The, pas um, the passenger trains. So a lot of times traffickers will try to use the buses and the trains instead of air travel because there is less security checks involved and it's also sometimes cheaper for them to to travel but still many of the big human trafficking enterprises will fly these victims around the country which is really unbelievable and it's always last minute tickets so for me if I'm going to go to LA tomorrow it would cost you know a thousand dollar airline ticket if I get a ticket the same day but almost every um, human trafficking case I've worked, these young girls, let's just say ages, you know, 18 to 25, if they're traveling last minute on a plane somewhere, and especially if they're buying that ticket in cash or something, it, it's, a, it's a red flag that they are. And I try to tell the airlines, you know, this is something that we need to target. Young girls don't just have that kind of money to buy. And not only not only that, but the timing of it. Most people have somewhere to go. They have somewhere to be. They're not just going to pick up unless you lost all your money gambling in Vegas or there's a reason or something. But these pimps are making so much money that it is actually... They, they're making so much money that these airline tickets are nothing to them. And that just blows me away because I, I'm thinking to myself, if I was a pimp, why would I make a victim travel to all these different places? I can make just as, mu as much money on this victim sitting her right here in L.A. There's plenty of men that will buy. Well, there's a few reasons for that. And I believe the number one reason is, well, first of all, to evade law enforcement. Second of all, they want to keep the victims moving at all times, keep them moving because they don't want them to develop a friendship, develop uh, a client that might start to care for them, that might see if they need help. And, and so I believe that is part of the, part of the deal. They're trying to, to keep them moving. Okay. So let's, let's just, 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 just go back a bit here. You've got, you've got these kids. Okay, the, the foster home system is one big area, um, runaways as well. And, and then the, the, the pimps 
are approaching them through the foster homes or are they approaching them because we know that a lot of kids are groomed online. We know that a lot of that kind of stuff happens on your Snapchats and stuff like that. You know, I've got two daughters. It's something that I think about an awful lot. And, you know, your statistics were saying that, um, was it one in one in five kids? I can't remember what the actual details are. One in, one in four. Mm-hmm. One in four uh, kids are being approached um, uh, online as well. So yes. is, is there a big differentiator between, you know, the kids in the foster home network and the runaways and your everyday kids that are in happy family homes, okay, in those types of numbers? Is there a big difference? That, you know, that's a really great question. I, I'm not sure if, you know, it can happen to anyone. So, you know, as much as the, the statistics clearly do show that foster children are the most vulnerable, you know, 60 to 80% of child sex trafficking cases that, you know, law enforcement has worked on in the United States had a tie to the foster care system. However, I've had plenty of parents call me very tragically where, their daughter has a, a full ride scholarship to college and goes off, and um, you know, next thing you know, she falls in love with a with a boy, and new phone number never to be heard from again. And she's over the age of eighteen, and we all know what happened, right? We all know, and it, it breaks my heart because so many times I've had parents call me with this same situation, and they're from good families, very close to their children, good parents, as far as I can tell, and. They just fall in love with the wrong man. And a lot of times it is so hard because, you know, you have to get the evidence. You ha- And a lot of times I can't find any evidence. And victims, you know, they become trapped. And, and drugs is a big part of it. The debt bondage involved with drugs. The, the traffickers love to get the victims addicted to drugs for many reasons. First of all, that's a way to control them. They're less likely to go to law enforcement if they're hooked on methamphetamine. And it's also a debt bondage scenario where, you know, you will essentially, you owe me all this money for the drugs I've been giving you. So you have to have sex with all my friends. And then pretty soon they're being taken all over the the country. And so um, I saw a big rise with the opioid crisis, looking at the correlation there really tragically. And I work a lot of drug cases too, but the opioid epidemic has killed more Americans than the Iraq and Afghanistan war combined. And these are uh, mostly white middle-class Americans that, you know, and it's kind of crazy to me because growing up, I'm 32, I'm a, I'm a millennial and, you know, we had the dare keep kids off drugs programs and the government invested plenty of money in education against drugs. But somehow uh, my generation became the worst drug addiction, but there's a major correlation with drug addiction. I can almost guarantee you that any female ages 15 to 30 that is hooked on drugs is either a victim of human trafficking or extremely susceptible to becoming a victim. And, you know, West Virginia, I was doing some research, they had one of the highest human trafficking rates in recent years, and just a huge uptick. And that was a direct correlation with the opioid crisis, because that ravaged those communities. And those those people were very much vulnerable. And um, next thing you know, the drug dealer becomes the pimp, you know, where, where are the hotspots in the US for this? Well, everywhere, you know, it's it's so funny, because people ask me to you know, where are the hotspots, I will definitely say any transit points, Atlanta, any big city with a lot of airports, uh, metros, California and Florida and Texas are are really the worst states for this, but it's it's really everywhere. New York as well. I was doing some research on strip clubs because I believe strip clubs are the biggest facilitator for human slavery in this country. Uh, The United States has more strip clubs than any other country in the world, very disgustingly. And the top states with the most strip clubs also have the highest human trafficking um, rate. Almost every single human trafficking case that I've worked had some nexus to strip clubs, whether the girls worked at a strip club, whether, and it's logical, it it makes sense. You know, these men are going to go to these strip clubs. You think they're going to want to go home? No, they want to take home the merchandise, right? So what do the strip clubs owners want to do? They want to, obviously, let's make a little more money on this, right? Why not? Let's start pimping them out. Let's start. um, And so it's one of two things. Either the strip clubs are actively involved in the, in the facilitation of this or the, the, the customers, it, it attracts pimps that will go to these places. The woman is already selling her body visually. What's the next step? You know, she's most likely to be somebody that would be 
fall into that, you know, and the pimps know that. So they go to the strip clubs and that's how they recruit these girls. And they say, oh, we'll protect you. You can make more money working with me. You know, you don't have to dance up there. You know, you can, um, I'll protect you. And, and, you know, you can make, you know, 10 times more money if, if you just start sleeping with these guys and I'll be your manager, you know, I'll, I'll take care of the finances and do all this. And, and that's how they fall into it. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. And, and the young girls, these pimps will tell them, you know, um, and they manipulate them. They're master manipulators. They'll say to these girls, well, I know, I know you've been sleeping around, like you've got a reputation in town. You know, why don't you, why don't you just start doing it for money? You know, you might as well get paid for it. And that's how they, they get them into it. They get them thinking that, oh, you know, it, it's just so demeaning. It, it's terrible. But that's how they, they break the mental part down, you know. And does that, does that apply uh, not only to prostitution, but pornography as well? Yes. Thank you for, for bringing that up. And I think the, the recent Pornhub case is, is a perfect example. And I, I really give credit to that journalist who exposed what's been going on for decades with Pornhub, where these women are, are being forced to do this. Porn is the biggest industry in the world. So one of the studies that I recently read said 70% of uh, human trafficking victims are trafficked into the strip clubs or into the pornography industry. Okay, so these people are being forced. Now, it, it makes sense to me because there's no little girl in the world that grows up and says, I want to be a, a prostitute. I want to be a stripper. Okay, now, you know, there might be a couple of outliers in the world that, you know, do it to, you know, whatever the case may be, but very unlikely. And even those that say that they wanted to do this, most of the time they were abused as a child. The, there's a big connection there with, with that, uh, unfortunately, with that industry. And I was really proud of MasterCard and Visa for taking that action to basically to block all the transactions for Pornhub that, you know, and um, essentially I think they should donate all of the money that they receive from that to these charities to help victims. You know, I think that would be even a, a cooler move, but I was really excited to to see them take that leadership on that aspect. One of your other um, statistics is that seventy eight percent of child abusers are parents. Yes, yes, tragically. That, that, so I'm sorry, I you just can't. I know that, that this is stuff you deal with every day, and but my listeners don't, and neither do I, and that that just is just a staggering number to me. Can you give me some, some more information around that? It is devastating. And I was probably the saddest thing that I've ever read in my career was I was working a dark net case and there was a victim who was, was talking about why she got into trafficking. And she said, you know, I'd rather be abused by somebody who's not my dad and get paid for it. And that's how she started. It's just unbelievable. So what I was really concerned about the second that COVID, the lockdowns occurred, my very first thought was these poor kids that are locked up with their perpetrator with, you know, 78% of, of the, the sex abusers are, are the parents, which is unbelievable. And, and for me, I think the, even the more concerning fact is I've seen more mothers involved. Like, you know, when I first started doing these cases, I would rare, I, I would never see a, a female involved in this, but that to me is, I, I don't even know how to explain that. You know, it's such against a mother's instinct. It's so disgusting, but I, I was really worried that these children are not in school and there's been a raise, um, a rise in the runaways. And of course, they, they are not going to school. And a teacher, a lot of times we get our tips from teachers. They'll notice something's wrong with the child. They will talk to the child. The child now has, has no outlet being locked up in this um, situation. So, And one of the predictions that I had was we are going to start to see a huge uptick in reporting once the kids are back in school because the, they're going to tell the teacher or somebody is going to notice it. And so I, I'm very concerned about um, the fact that, you know, and, and unfortunately, there's a big connection now with child exploitation and human trafficking. So which is really kind of a newer thing. So when I first started working in child exploitation cases, you know, it would tend to be an isolated incident uh, where the, the parent was victimizing the child. But because of the internet and the dark web and the ability to communicate with people and the ability to 
sell children online. Because of the ease of doing this, more child predators are moving to not only be preying upon children sexually, but also selling the children. Uh, one of the worst cases I've ever worked involved a man who was essentially um, molesting his disabled son. And, you know, I, I just thought, you know, I need to look at this guy's financial records just in case, you know, I need to see. And immediately I looked at his financial records and my heart sank because I saw a bunch of $20 transactions coming to him from a bunch of different men. Um, the very first name, I looked it up and it was a sex offender. And so immediately I knew he was not only abusing this, this child, but um, selling the child. And also his girlfriend was involved with sexually abusing and, and selling the child. So it's, it's unbelievable to me that, you know, it's just the sale of, you know, unfortunately, child predators have, have been around since the sands of time, and, and they're a danger to society, and they need to be locked up. They will act again, unfortunately, that is. But it's it's even worse now with the internet and the ability to sell children and human beings is so easy. It's like it's like selling candy. It's, it's so sad. Um, and unfortunately... There's also a culture of, in the darknet especially, back in the day, if you were a child predator, you people like to talk, right? Everybody wants to be accepted. Human beings want to be accepted, right? So eventually you want to tell somebody. But you're not going to go tell your neighbor or somebody, like in 1950 America, you're not going to talk about your impulses. However, on the darknet, you could be wanting to have sex with clowns or children or anything in the world. And you have not only people that accept you, but they support you and they follow you. And it's this mob mentality. And they're telling each other how to evade law enforcement, how to encrypt your your secret stash, how to, uh, where is the best place to um, kidnap a child? I mean, they have actual tutorials and manuals on this. And, and they don't know that I'm in there and I'm in this forum and I'm reading this, it's like the dirtiest diaries you've ever seen. And I'm taking notes because I want to know, okay, what are they looking for? What boats are they trying to bring the kids on? And, and they're, they're talking about it to help each other. They're telling each other, Hey, does anyone have any, any videos of uh, live killing of children? And, and that's been a new trend. Like they want to, it's not just the sex, it's the violence. They want to have child sex torture chambers. And and they actually want to watch a child being killed. It's unbelievable to me. I, I, I can't understand it. I, I, it's unbelievable. And they have like these contests too that, you know, um, and in fact, I think they arrested a, a few people for this where they, they want to convince the child to commit suicide. And it's called like the blue whale. Yeah. And so they have these contests where, okay, whoever can get the child to kill himself first, like wins. Like this is actually going on. This is unbelievable. So... It, and so for me, I've always thought of child pred um, predators as wanting power. They, they definitely want power. And so I see a connection there with, and what do serial killers want? They also want power, right? They want to, and so I, I see a connection there. And also I see a connection with serial killers and child predators in the fact that they always start with animals. First, they sexually abuse an animal. And the serial killers usually do something to animals first, you know, before they move to humans. So I don't know. It's something I've noticed, but I, I think that it's it's really scary to me, the growth in violence. You know, I was reading a study about pornography and the majority of pornography now in the world has some type of violence. I think it was like 85% of pornography has some type of violence um, against women in, in the pornography. I think it's really causing more mental problems, especially with, with men than we realize. You know, I think seeing these types of things and getting those norms in, in a young person mind is really causing um, I really believe pornography is um, driving a lot of the the crime and, and evils in society and I think you know it, it seems to me that it's, it's it becomes like um, it's not enough they want something more like and I actually in college I listened to a speech of a man who it was really interesting he was admitted he was addicted to pornography and now his goal, he lost his family, he lost everything, but he travels around the country to give these speeches on college campuses. And But it's really interesting how he was saying that it just caused destruction, that it became, it wasn't enough. And I think 
the internet and and the ease of getting this this type of thing is is really causing a lot of problems for the youth and a lot of problems for you know we have like whatever the me too movement and all of this stuff in america where you know women's rights and all of this stuff and i think that's great but I think we're leaving something off the table here. Let, let's start at rock bottom here. Let's start at ground zero. Okay, so I'm not talking about abortions. I'm not talking about even equal pay. Like, okay, that's very whatever. That's all important. However, let's start at the beginning. Let's have freedom for women, okay? Because 90% of victims of human slavery in this country are women. And, and we're in the United States of America, and we are the top three, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, Top three nation of origin in the world for human slavery. Next to the Philippines and Mexico. Next to third world countries. It's unbelievable. And because sex sells in this country. The United States is also the top producer and consumer of child sex abuse material online. During the COVID, the top um, search for um, child pornography is, you know, teen porn and, and it's, it's unbelievable. There's really not enough prisons in this country to put all these people away. And, you know, I don't have children myself, but if I did, I would keep them offline. The number one way back to your question about the internet, the number one way of recruiting children is online. They don't, it's so easy. I, I had a, a case where I was, this man was essentially just adding the entire middle school, like, and it's, it's a numbers game, right? He can add anybody he wants on Facebook. And one kid, just one kid is going to fall for that. One kid is going to want that attention. One kid is going to want that love. And, and that's the game. And so one of these child traffickers that I worked on, you look at his friends list on Facebook, and it's all underage girls who are unemployed, who are scantily clad. You know, they're, they're you know, kind of giving off that vibe. Um, and he had hundreds of, of these girls as his friends. And it's like, Okay, so that's not illegal, but at the same time, it's such a red flag. You know, I feel, you know, the Facebooks of the world are, I have seen pictures of a child's, a child's vagina as the, the profile photo. I've seen child predators on there. They're not monitoring this. I mean, they're monitoring, I don't know what, politics or, or, or other things. But, you know, they need to start with, you know, just like if we have the automobile industry. Okay, so... We had regulations for safety, right, on automobiles. Like, so too should we on the internet, you know. We need to have stricter regulations and hold, hold people accountable, not just with fines, but criminally accountable, I believe. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, the way that it works with cars is that you've got rules on the road and you have to go as slow as the slowest person, don't you, at the end of the day. That's why... There are speed limits. Cars can go much faster, but you know, some idiot smashed into a, a lamppost and crashed his car, and then there were speed limits. And then after that, some idiot who was drunk crashed his car and killed somebody, and there was now limits around alcohol with the car. And it's always you've always got to go to the 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 the, the lowest denomination to make sure that we because we can only keep society moving forward at that pace but when it comes to this we don't when it comes when it comes to this, there isn't that you don't sit down and say well look the three percent are affected by um pornography so that means we can't have pornography right you, you don't you but you're doing that with lots of other industries and lots of other environments and lots of other rules so i completely agree with what you're saying it's just like well, where, where where are the rules here you know T talk to me a little bit uh, about about the dark web because i think that's a world that a lot of people don't know about and we had an, an, an espionage specialist on recently that was talking a little bit about this um and also you know you you saw my interview with annika lucas you know her mum essentially was the person who, who, who pimped her um, out from the age of six to the age of 11. And so, but when Annika talks about her mum, she talks about, you know, she forgave her mum, but she talked about her mum as not having the mental capacity to be able to cope with it and, and was very immature mentally. And so when I think about that, I think, is that one of the bigger problems that parents have? You know, they have children, they're born into an environment where maybe the kid isn't wanted in the first place or the kid is wanted, but the parents don't have the capacity, the education, the, the, the financial resources to look after them. And then the mental capacity of these men that we're saying, and, and some women, but that are on the dark web, what's going on in their heads? You know, what kind of background and upbringing have they had to want to be able to... Or, or to have a desire of some sort. And I suppose the other thing I want to talk to you about, because I'm sorry I'm going on a bit here, but um, I saw a statistic that said the 
average age that a child first sees pornography is the age of 11. It's terrible. It's probably even younger. It's terrible. The world has changed so quickly. I, I remember for me, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know. You, you don't even have to try to find uh, pornography. It will find you. I mean, you can, it, to me, it's, it's like we, we've come to a point where women are, are just, you know, we, we can say women's rights and all of this whatever stuff, but like the fact of the matter is, you know, how can you say that in this country that you have, you know, sexual harassment laws on women when women are allowed to work in strip clubs, you know, or, or women are allowed, you know, I, I just think, you know, if, if you want to take this problem seriously, if, if you really want to support the, the human trafficking and, and support women's rights, I, I just don't think we're missing the point. I, I don't, I think that, and pornography, um, is so widespread that I feel, and I have a very radical view on this and I don't expect people to agree with me, but I just, I wish pornography was, was actually legal. I think it's, it's causing a lot of mental harm that we're not even seeing in, in people. I think, you know, you can use your imagination. I think people, um, and also it's, it's the fact that we don't know if these women actually want to be doing these things, right? I mean, the Pornhub was the perfect example, right? You know, and it's it's how could you know, right? If somebody legitimately wanted to to be doing that, and the level of brainwashing is is unbelievable. But when you when you talk about the parents and that victim Anna that you the survivor, I should say Anna that you interviewed, it was it moved me to tears. I couldn't believe her story, and I've heard a lot of stories, and I couldn't believe what what she had been through and her strength and her and and she reminds me of a, a survivor that I've been working with as well and and the the thing that I, I find really fascinating about that is I think parents they don't want to believe the truth maybe they they're sort of you know and also I think a lot of times pimps prey on single mothers you know and predators do as well on the dark web there's a trend where predators um, child predators are looking for meth moms anyone know any meth moms because what's a meth mom likely going to not be watching her kid that well and they're targeting that population so the drug addiction in this country is also causing uptick in both trafficking and child exploitation because you have the vulnerability on all sides. And so I have seen mothers sell their children to get those drugs for sex and, and that addiction, can you imagine? And so, you know, and it's, it's like, and it, it just blows me away that that addiction could be so strong that you're willing to sell your own child for for sex so you can have your addiction i think and then a lot of times um but sometimes there are parents that are you know i, I don't know if they're just naive or when women or not just women i suppose it could happen to men but when, when people fall in love and and they're feeling all like wanted or, or cherished and everything else they tend to make bad decisions sometimes or they're blinded by, by the love so sometimes you'll see these predators go after the single moms and wine and dine her and that's a way for them to get close to the child and next thing you know the the parent is not understanding that you know there's boundaries and there's something going on here where all of a sudden this person is spending a lot of time with the child taking them places and and so I think sometimes there is a lot of denial going on with with that but I, I can't imagine um, for me I one of the biggest problems that I feel right now is the bottom girl. So I, I don't understand these victims that become the pimps themselves, these female pimps. And, and some of them are the most vicious. And it's almost like, you know, they say like when a puppy is born, you have to give the puppy love or that's how the dogs become mean. The mean dogs didn't have that love as a but so, you know, these women that have been in this abuse of this cycle for so long, you know, and that doesn't excuse, I, I mean, they need to go to jail just the same as anybody else. And I don't, I don't feel too much mercy for them because, but it's sad. It, it's very sad because these pimps are able to control, if you can control a female and, and somehow manipulate her into, you know, being raped in a hotel room for eight hours and giving all the money to him. What else is that person capable of convincing that person of, of doing? Fear is a powerful, powerful thing. And um, a lot of times these victims are 
robbing stores and they're being forced to do that. Um, these pimps are greedy. They just want to get paid. They want anything they can get for free. They have a self-entitlement. They're the combination of ultra lazy and ultra greedy traffickers. They want money, they want it free, and they, they want to use people. And, and, they, and the sad thing is um, I very seldom have ever seen any remorse. They don't think that they're doing anything wrong. They really believe that these girls want to do this or they, they don't under they don't even think they're doing anything wrong and that blows me away and they beat these girls to a bloody pulp you know this one victim that I've I've worked with she she told me the reason why she stayed in it was to save her family because they were going to kill her family if she didn't do this and I said did you really believe they were going to kill your family and she said absolutely these people were so violent and and it was and to think that somebody would do that because she thinks she has to save her family. What a terrible, terrible life. And, and she's um, really an incredible person, but she actually invented this QR code that part of the problem for her was the language barrier, right? So she was trafficked to Holland where prostitution, by the way, is legal. And we've seen so many studies where, you know, some people say, oh, let's legalize prostitution. That'll solve the problem. And it's completely the opposite. Las Vegas has one of the highest trafficking and child sex trafficking rates in the country as as well as, as Holland. But and so but she was trafficked there and she she couldn't speak the language. So, you know, what can you do? I mean, she was from Bulgaria and, you know, she even if she went up to a police officer, she can't communicate. What can she do? And nobody has a human trafficking hotline memorized, myself included, right? And, and I work for Homeland Security. So she invented a really cool thing called a QR code where you can scan the code and it says in four different languages on the, the four corners of it, do you feel forced? Do you feel abused? Do you feel tricked? Now, these are three basic questions that even a child could, could probably understand, right? And, you know, it says, if so, scan here. And most victims hear the word trafficking and they don't even associate with that. However, almost all victims could agree that they're being abused, that they're being treated badly, right? So, so you scan the code and then it says, you know, what language and you can pick your language. And, and then it shows you a map of the world. Where are you? Where do you think you are? And you can click where you are. And then it asks them a few basic questions. Has your passport been taken it, in the language that they chose, right? And it, it goes through a couple of questions. And then if they answered yes to, to some of those questions, it'll say you might be a victim of human trafficking. And it routes them to the law of the country and the contact of uh, the hotline, wherever they are, all translated in their language. And I think this is a brilliant idea. We could print these everywhere on every travel sector, on the back of hotel key cards, on condom wrappers, on websites, on banking institutions. You know, I think, you know, in airports especially, I think it would be um, because, you know, victims, they it would give them easy access to, to call somebody. And it also allows them to um, take a photo of themselves um, to get help so we could try to find them and, and things like that. And, you know, um, and every victim has a phone. I know that's kind of one of the myths out there is that victims don't have phones. Almost every victim I've ever worked with had a phone. That's how the traffickers control them. The pimps, they spend an average of 30% of all of their expenditures. Human traffickers spend 30% of all of their money on phone bills. Okay, so that's the level of control. They they have all of the girls and that's how much money they're spending on the control of these phones and booking their appointments and things. So, you know, and I, I told uh, Verizon Wireless, I said, man, it would be so cool if we could, of course, they, they said they can't do it, but it would be neat if we could see the top people spending on phone bills in this country that have the most prepaid callers under their main account. So now, of course, it would be hard to sift through those that are legitimate business owners or things. But, you know, like a male who had like, you know, 50 different female lines under him, he's he's probably going to be a trafficker, right? It, you know, why do you have phone, you know, things like that. But there's a lot of different ways that we can can target. Same with, you know, the the purchase of condoms at, you know, if, if we can track, you know, people that are buying condoms in mass quantities or people that are buying um, sex toys in mass quantities, you know, unless you have a legitimate business purpose, maybe you own a sex shop or something like, you know, I think there's different ways that we could 
target the the biggest pimps out there you know let's let's go through these pimps so we know because you, you you've given a few, few descriptions here so let, let's go through we've got the romeo pimp we've got the opportunity ceo pimp the gorilla pimp so just just tell me what's different about each one of those yes thank you so much so spencer the um the Romeo pimp is is really the one that romances the the victim. He basically is really the most prevalent pimp that I've worked on. So they make the female feel like they're in love and they feel you know, sometimes they prey upon their children or they'll they'll do anything to make that person feel affection is a drug to the deprived and I really believe that, you know, like you mentioned about those kids earlier where They've never had an ice cream cone. They've never had a birthday cake. They've never. And so all of a sudden this person is giving them all of these things that, um, and, and, you know, I've had so many victims tell me, you know, this person was my best friend. I really believe this person was my best friend. And so the Romeo pimp is very powerful, a master manipulator. The other type of pimp that you have, which is um, very common in um, labor trafficking cases, um, is the opportunity pimp where they're going to give you this great opportunity and you're going to work for me. And, you know, they'll say, now, if an offer sounds too good to be true, and I tell my students, it's probably too good to be true, right? But they'll say, you can come to America, you have push and pull factors in the immigration system. And these traffickers have exploited our immigration system to the max. And that is another major issue where we need to change the legislation. The labor traffickers, and I'm in Miami, Florida, and I, I talk to people all the time, and I want to make sure that they're being treated well. Pretty much anybody that I've talked to here that is not a U.S. citizen that is out there working, um, I ask them, are you getting paid enough or are you getting paid? And it, it breaks my heart because almost every person I've talked to says no. They, they're they getting paid like five bucks an hour. These people, they, they go after people who don't have legal status in this country because they know they can, because they know that they're happy making, you know, five bucks an hour because in Mexico they would be making $2 a day, you know, so they, they prey upon those people. So these opportunity pimps, you know, give these people this opportunity to come here and they either lure them to do sex or labor trafficking. I've also seen a combination of the two on these farms. Uh, the agriculture is huge for labor trafficking, as I'm sure you know, but really unbelievably I've seen where these farms are labor trafficking these people and then also sex trafficking women to service their labor slaves if you can even imagine it's slavery on top of slavery it's it's unbelievable so I, I've seen all kinds of things but the the last type of pimp that I was going to mention is gorilla pimp which is the type that essentially just uses brute force and and beats the heck out of these girls to to force them and fear the, the fear is what drives them to stay in this because they're so afraid of, of getting beaten when they get home, if they don't meet their quota, things of that nature. And also gorilla pimps are the types that will kidnap children and, you know, and sell them into this. And, and you know, there's people that say like this doesn't happen and, and kids are not being kidnapped and sold into slavery, but it, it sure does happen. Absolutely. It's not the most common form of trafficking, but it absolutely does does happen. What, 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 look, what can the government do? Because it's clear from your point of view, if you went into Congress and had a conversation with them and showed them the evidence that you, you've been able to collate or you and a fellow uh, professionals have been able to collate that there is a very real and serious problem with uh, evidence backing all of that up. But there seems to be a lethargy from a governmental point of view. And, and I don't know why, you know, part of me has heard stories over the years, like with Annika, but also other stories of, of um, you know, paedophile rings within government and stuff like that, politicians being involved in that kind of stuff. But but what's, what stops, you know, the, when, when it comes to other things, we're ready to jump on it. We're ready to get aggressive. We're ready to, you know, to, to, to work hard to solve the problem. So, so why doesn't it, why doesn't that happen? It, you know, it blows me away, Spencer, the fact that if there's terrorism involved or anything, we'll, we'll shut down a website, no problem. We will, but how is it possible that we haven't been able to block child pornography on the internet? How, how is that possible that we haven't figured that out? Or how, how you know, and, and for me, it, it's, um, it's, it's just a terrible thing. I think, you know, it, it makes me wonder, uh, unfortunately, I believe there are so many pedophiles out there and there's so many people that are profiting on this as well. Unfortunately, the hotel industry is, is making, you know, we're talking $150 billion a year on this 
enterprise that is, and I think that figure is actually much lower than it, it really is. And I, when I first studied that and I first started working these cases, I, I couldn't believe that just seemed so high to me. And now, now that I'm looking at the money and I'm like, no, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's probably much higher actually, but I think it really is greed. And I think that a lot of times people, you know, if we stopped human trafficking right now, completely, right, let's just say the hotel industry, the travel industry would, would probably take a huge hit. It, it might even go under. Um, and, and so, so really when you're talking about money, um, most people think with their wallet, they're not going to take action unless something affects them personally, unless it's like their kid that got trafficked or whatever, or there's money involved where, you know, um, and unfortunately, even the gift card scenario where I was I was speaking um, earlier this week with uh, leaders of retail, the gift cards are being used as really the number one financial payment system of human trafficking. And, and so it's a way of laundering the money where you're evading the bank like you don't uh, pimps, of course, don't want to go to the bank. They don't want to be tracked. Right. And so, you know, for example, like Victoria's Secret has on the Internet right now about forty four thousand sex ads that are saying pay please pay us with Victoria's Secret gift cards and it's and so the same with Walmart Amazon the list goes on but you know I, I told these these retailers I said well what we really need to do is track we need to really track okay who is the top recipient of gift cards in this country if there's somebody that's getting a million dollars worth of gift cards they're not up to anything good they're obviously involved in some type of scheme right and so you know, but, you know, unfortunately, they're not, I mean, they're not losing any money from this, right? So their people are still buying their gift cards, and, and they don't care, because they're not taking a hit on their profit. So the only way for it to change is the law. And I think um, we need to legally, there's a few things that we need to change. I think we need to require uh, retailers to to start tracking these gift cards, right? And to start tracking where that money is going, essentially. Uh, we also need them to file SARS. We need hotels to, to file SARS. There are hotel chains in America that do not even track the name and date of birth of the people checking into their hotels. It's unbelievable. If you have a trafficker and his name is John Williams, like, good luck. They're not going to have the records. I mean, they're, you know, because they don't track the date of birth. They, they don't, they don't want to pay to upgrade their system. Imagine if that was an airport. If the airport said, oh, we, we're not going to do people's date of birth today. Like, no, there would be an uproar. Like, I mean, it would be un unheard of. So it's like, we need to treat hotels the same way. And so unfortunately, the hotels won a Supreme Court case some years ago that gave them this this privacy that, you know, in Europe, it's, it's not that way. In Europe, there's stricter requirements on, you know, showing IDs at hotels and, and things of that nature. But one of the other things that I think would just be a slam dunk, of course, you can have all the laws in the world, right? You can have all the regulations in the world. If you don't enforce and you don't prosecute, people are just going to keep doing it, right? It's not going to matter. So, but one of the things I think we could do is we could, you know, we could actually, I would like to see felony charges levied against men buying sex. Okay. So John's, I think that should be, you know, you think about DUIs. Okay. So in most States in the United States, if it's even your second or third offense, it could be a felony charge. Right. And that's, then that's an accident. Right. And I am not, I'm saying DUIs are bad. I definitely don't support DUIs. I think that's a reasonable, you know, law you're killing people. Right. However, how in the world can other can men buy human beings, buy women, and that is not first of all not a force, not a felony. It's it's like a, a slap on the wrist. Um, so you're not going to stop the demand. You're not going to stop men from doing this. You know there, and then of course if you legalize it, then it's it's even worse. So it's it's not enforced. Um, we're we're trying to do. There there have been some people stepping up in different jurisdictions to do sting operations and things of that nature, but. But, you know, part of the problem is really the injustice that went on for so long in our country where there was one jurisdiction in New York State where in one year, okay, in one year there were 100 prostitutes arrested and that same year only one John, one male. So a crime was committed, right? So two people should be arrested, right? And so that just shows you now this was about a decade ago. So and but there's a lot of examples out there like that where you know, you see what, what message does that send to society? You know, like, and I think we're, we're changing the tide a little bit now, but it, it really is, it really is unfortunate. If we want to stop the problem, we have to shut down strip clubs, to be honest with you. I think they are the top, 
I could probably prove that every single strip club in America is involved in human trafficking. I could, I could easily prove that to be honest, but will it matter? You know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just, uh, for me, I think we need to have, um, to hold people you, accountable. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. If you think for one second here, if everybody knew the statistics and it was not only documented, but it was promoted and advertised, these types of statistics, as much as, I don't know, Fruit Loops, I think it would shock people to know these numbers. You know, every two minutes a child is taken. And these these types of stats, you know, I've got them from you on a PowerPoint presentation you sent across to me. I've printed it off. I've gone through it. And obviously, I'm 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 kind of probably further involved in this because of what I do than, than many others. But even some of the details you've given me on this presentation are shocking, like shocking. And so. If if there was, you know, I, I come from it from a point of view, it's like. In in business, one of my rules in business is if you wouldn't sell it to your mum, then you shouldn't sell it to anyone. All right. And that's something I say to all of the people I work with, that if you're selling something, if you wouldn't sell it to your mum, you shouldn't sell it to anyone. And so it's like people that go into strip clubs, stop and think for a minute and realize that could be your sister, your daughter, your cousin, a friend, a school friend. Um like, like with the, no, nobody would want this kind of stuff in their own backyard. N nobody, nobody, you know, nobody, if, if I couldn't imagine my daughters are 18 and 21, they're both at university. I couldn't possibly imagine something like that happening. It, it mortifies me to think about it. And I'm sure every other father that's listening to this right now, okay, that's got daughters would just think what a horrible thing it would be. But the guys that don't have fathers, so the people that are listening to the show right now that are younger, that don't have kids, you might have a sister, you might have a cousin, you might have a best mate who's got a sister, okay? This is, this is, a very real possibility, very close to home. And if you play a part in feeding it, then you have some blood on your hands too. And so don't feed it. And I know that you can't, you know, you said earlier on uh, that this was going to be, oh, well, you said it's, um, that prostitution was the oldest industry. And I've heard that before. I don't think it's the oldest, but it's one of the oldest. But we, if we stop feeding that industry, you know, if we stop buying carrots, they're going to stop growing carrots. You know, so it's quite simple. So if everyone stops buying blooming carrots and we have the obesity epidemic where people need to stop eating rubbish. And, you know, they're finding they're finding, you know, the, the McDonald's and whatnot of the world are finding sexier ways to make a Big Mac look so that we buy them. Um, and that's that, that's essentially McDonald's is that it performs the role of the pimp. OK, yeah. It, but it does. It's trying. You know, we, we've got we've got the you know, common sense and justice saying, look, McDonald's. If you took the the pickle out of it, it's got the same sugar as a cake. So you know. So guess what? It's really bad. But then McDonald's are like, yeah, we sell salads. You know, it's much better. So it's almost it's like it's like the seduction from the pimp. Okay, and and the priest or the vicar on the other side going, no, 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 no. You know, it's the angel and the devil, isn't it? And so we could all do more. You know, here in, here in Dubai, there is a hotel. I'm not going to say the name of it because I will probably get in trouble. Okay. There is a hotel which is known, okay, known for having many escorts that go to it. Okay. It's known. It's talked about. It's, it, it, it's, it's talked about lightly and liberally. And when you think about it, after learning what people are learning from you and hearing this kind of information, how many of those ladies or girls, whatever they want to be called, that are at that venue, and all of you that are in Dubai that are listening to this right now, you probably know the hotel I'm talking about. How many of them are someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's, someone's um, uh, cousin or close friend, and how many of them are there, okay, actually because they really, really want to be there because it was their dream to have sex with lots of men for money every week. It was their their career of choice. How many of them are there because they really, really, there's nothing greater for them. There's nothing that does more for them, okay, than them getting a load of cash for having to do disgusting things with people, okay, how many, really? 
So when you're sitting on your sun lounger, when you're sitting by the pool, when you're sitting on the beach, when you're in that bar that's open to whatever time of the morning it is, I want you to think, okay, do those people really, really want to be there? Okay, is it their dream? Because would it be yours? Would it be your dream? And for all of you, la- all of you ladies too, you know, that are listening to this right now, and, and, and I've got a lot of film, female listeners on the show. For you ladies out there, okay, think about it. Okay, would you do it? And if you wouldn't do it, then think about these girls. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can help play a part in that as well because men do listen to, to women, okay? It's not just about men. Men do listen to women and women do have a part to play as well, I would believe. Would you agree with me, Amy? Yes, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And in fact, I've had many female friends that have invited me to strip clubs and I, I give them my little speech that I, I don't support that industry. And I, and I tell them why because of the victims there. And I... Um, you know, and, and you made such a, a great point about, you know, we can all do something and we can all, you know, but, you know, one of the victim victims that I spoke to, I asked her, how did you get out of this? You know, what was the turning point? You were scared to your life. This guy was beating you. And she said, when a new John, a new client would come in, she would, they would a lot of times ask, you know, why, why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? And, and she she had a script, you know, she had to say that she loves doing it. And because if she didn't get that money or that quota by the end of the night that she was required to get, she would be beaten. And so, you know, so, um, a lot of times she said, these men have no idea. They, they think that, you know, we, we want to be doing this. And she said, finally, she broke down this one man. He said, I don't believe that you want to be doing this. And and she said it was a powerful moment and she just broke down and started crying. And she's like, I know, I don't, I don't speak English. I don't know how to get out of here. And he um, helped her escape through a window. And she said it was the the scariest day in in her life. And she said this this man, you know, took her to his place and and said, you know, and her phone was blowing up like because the pimp figured out she got away. And so and she said, no, just take me back. She said to the John, just take me back. You don't understand. He'll kill me. And he says, and this guy said to her, well, He's going to have to kill both of us because we're in this together. And that was the turning point for her that, you know, and so, and that's what she said. She said, you know, not all these men, there's a lot of good men in the world that they, they just don't realize, you know, what, you know, the situation and, um, and this man was somebody that really saved her life. And so I do think it's something that just that people are aware that, you know, these industries are, and you're right, like I would tell the, the Congress, okay, if you think that, you know, strip clubs should be legal, would you want your, your daughter to work in a strip club? Let's say she was going to make $300,000 a year. That's good money. Would you want her to be doing that? And every father in America would say no. Like, so, so why would you want this for anyone else's daughter or anyone else's, you know, when you put it close to home, I think it, it really makes a difference. I'm just going to read through the stats before we finish, okay? Just to make sure that everyone's got these stats. I'm going to give these stats and, and, uh, and make sure that everyone's aware. It's a $150 billion a year industry. One in four slaves are children, Okay, the human trafficking calls soared 259% since August, uh, since 2008. There's nearly 500,000 kids in the US missing. Okay, that's just, that blows my mind, that number. Okay, uh, in the first 48 hours, they're approached by a trafficker. It's like, wow. Okay, one in four children are sexually abused. Oh my goodness me. Okay, there's three different types of pimps. Remember, okay, there's the Romeo, the Opportunity, and the Gorilla Pimp. Okay, listen back to this podcast again. Okay, um, let's just go a bit further. One in five children have received sexual grooming messages. I hate that. Okay, the runaway cycle, 78% of sex abusers are parents. Most human trafficking victims are from uh, uh, CE. What CE stand for? Child exploitation. Child exploitation, okay, and 75% of child sex trafficking. 60% of child sex trafficking victims are in foster care. 85% of child sex trafficking victims are uh, in welfare. Every two minutes, a child is sexually exploited or trafficked. This is not on, and this is just America. We're in the other side of the world. That's one country with a population of 350 million people or whatever it is. Okay, think about where you live, your country, and do not say it's different here, all right? It isn't. It exists everywhere. 
I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing your facts, your knowledge, your experience. I know that you're a, a busy professional, but I know you're very, very passionate about this. And so I'm extremely grateful that you've taken the time to come and share this information and help. If this helps, if this podcast helps one person, okay, we've had a result. And so I just hope it has. Amy, thank you very much for being a guest. Spencer, God bless you. You are incredible and you know, one last thing I'll close with is, as I really believe that the coronavirus spread the most in America because of human trafficking and the rates of, of sex ad posts tripled during, during the, the crisis. So I think, you know, it, it's a health crisis, it's a tragic crisis, and it's, it's also just unbelievable that these people are, are living as, as slaves. And people like you that are out there spreading the word, I really appreciate it. If anyone would like to speak with me further, I am all ears and I love hearing new ideas. We need the private sector. We need the public sector. We need everybody to support this effort. And it's going to take one, one world working together to fight this crime. Well said, well said. Thank you so much. Well, I don't know about you, but knowing that there are people that are working in homeland security in the United States that, are, that have got access to this type of information and are actively trying to pursue solving this problem gives me reassurance. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this is disgusting. It's ghastly and it's impacting so many more people than we even give it credit for. This these stats we talked about in this podcast were just the United States. God only knows what it is around the world. But whatever it is, it's horrific. If you go to strip clubs, don't. Okay? If you're a parent, watch out for your kids. Be a good parent. All right? If you engage with prostitution, stop and think for a minute that that person, what they're doing, whether they really want to be doing it or not. Please think about what you do. If you play any part in this, then you're as guilty as the next person. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, which I sincerely hope you have, then I really would like you to be subscribed. If you're on iTunes, then give us a five-star rating, but please subscribe. On top of that, please, if you're doing it on any other podcast app, go leave us a recommendation. The more people that get, uh, the more recommendations I get, the more people that will get access to this. More people is kind of get pushed out to more people. And I want more people to listen to this. I want these guests that have got such important information and stories to share to be able to get their voice heard. So I need your support in that. If you can do that, I would be eternally grateful. But for now, a very serious podcast. But when I think, you know what, if we work together, we could just do something about.